I need to begin by telling you why I am here. I remember the Brother Betts, when he was my age, used to say, no, you younger brothers need to preach. After all, we need to be practical. And what he meant by that was he was older and the mind not quite as alert, especially at the end of the day. And I have uh, steadfastly said in our advisory meetings, we have to be practical, particularly when we're surrounded by younger brothers who are extremely gifted, very faithful, and very capable of preaching the gospel. You may or may not know that prior to coming to camp, the advisors meet and we choose the brothers, for the most part, who will have the services and teach all the classes before we get here. And there are times when we find ourselves in a quandary and don't really know who to choose from among the brothers that uh, are, are, are coming because we already have the registration list. And so we cast lots. We let God decide that. We have a very fervent prayer. We put all the names in a hat, or people don't wear hats, a bucket, whatever. And uh, somebody pulls one out for Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, whatever needs to be filled. And we have the absolute faith that that's God's choice. And last year sure proved that it was. Well, we had finished our task, and it was a week ago that we got a notice from our brother Gary Webble, who's the chairman of our advisory committee, saying that a certain brother was not going to be at camp. And so, because of the lateness of the hour to get that information, he did what we did more than once, and that was to have a prayer, put the names in a hat, and draw a name. And that's why I'm here. I don't know why I'm supposed to be here, but I have the absolute faith that God knows the reason. Because you see, God is a practical man too, a creator of all practical men. And if you think God isn't practical, the next time you see a duck swimming, gliding effortlessly to the end of a pond and climbing out, and you notice that the duck just got out of the water and isn't wet, and look at those feet that propelled him or her to shore. While God is practical, he does not think as men do. And so we're going to pray together that God might bless you tonight and this senior servant whom I really believe he has chosen for reasons known to him to be your servant. Let's bow our heads to pray. <clears throat> Loving Father, a long time ago, someone said, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And we utter those words again in simple but absolute faith, Father, that thou wilt speak to us tonight and to each heart in particular, as that heart has need. We know that only thou canst open the hearts of men. The Bible tells us so. And we pray that each who feels the tugging of thy Holy Spirit might indeed be wise enough to at least invite him in to reason together concerning eternal things. Bless us now, Lord, and bless those who 
would love to be here and can't be, you know them too. Find them where you know where they are. You don't have to look. But bless them, Lord, wherever they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Because the Lord has chosen an older servant, in my mind, I ask myself the question, surely there is a message that perhaps he can give through me that he cannot through someone else tonight. And I wondered, how can it be that there could be any subject that any one of our younger, faithful, capable brothers could not handle this evening. And then a voice, and in fact, this afternoon yet, I had no clue what God would have us look into this evening. So I shared it with the advisor brothers that if they would please pray. And when I came back to my room after that meeting, it's like a light went on. And a voice said, you know, uh, the subjects that the younger brothers, who are not threescore and ten, cannot handle are things from the past and perspectives that are based on past experience that only comes by living long enough to experience them. And he revealed some texts to me, and I want to share them with you as together we, we, we walk from yesteryear to the, to, to the present. And I'd like to begin, if I'm going to read several scriptures, but if you'd like to at least find the beginning one, it's found in, Ma- found in Matthew 13, and I'd like to begin with verse 10 and read through verse 17. And the Lord had just shared with the multitude the parable of the sower. He, he had not explained it yet, but the parable was finished. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, Because they, seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted that I should heal them. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Who's he speaking to? 
Well, I believe he was referring perhaps to Israel as those who were hearing and listening and not hearing, had ears and didn't hear, eyes that didn't see. But who was he speaking to when he said, blessed are your eyes and your ears because given to you are great and wonderful gospel messages that kings and prophets hope to hear and to see. You know who I believe that is? I believe that's us. I believe that's me. I believe that's you. When I see in the news media the great tragedies across the face of the earth, including the one in New York City some time ago, and I realize how easy it is and how sure it is that hundreds and thousands of souls are snatched from eternity's uh, door with no opportunity anymore to embrace this message, to hear it, and to accept it, to see its miraculous results, and to accept them as well. And the question is asked, does that make us special? Indeed it does, but not for the reasons that we might think. We as a country have been spared for decades any vestiges of uh, tragedy uh, in proportions that countries, nations, peoples all over the world experience. I think that the time is here when it will be a more frequent event than we would like to acknowledge or, or uh, be concerned about. So it does make us special in that regard, not, that, not because we are worthy, more worthy than all the rest, but because God has deemed it according to his will that we as a people, not as a nation now, but as a people, as a fellowship, have been given the good news in its full measure and have been taught from a child, most of us, the principles, the statutes, and the judgments of God. That's the greatest blessing in all the world. That's better than, than, than piles of gold uh, or, or lands or, or, or industries. Because you see, that and that alone, the result of the choices that we make, based on the fact that we are given that gospel is the only thing, if we choose wisely, that we can take with us when we leave this earth. All the rest is going to stay here for whoever wants it until that time it's all destroyed anyway. And so it makes us not only a privileged people, it makes us an obligated people. And I won't address that because it was thoroughly addressed in the message last evening, and I was thrilled with the brother's uh, exposition of the scriptures that he read. We are a people who, are, who need to be a responsible people, who need, to, who need to accept that responsibility gladly, and to look at ourselves not as those that have been chosen for some wonderful reason by God, but those who have been chosen and should feel themselves obligated to use themselves, their voices, and their resources to help those who otherwise 
may never hear. The world in which George and I lived as children was much different than your world, young people. And those people who say, and I've heard it not too long ago again, well, you know, my kids don't have it any worse than, than, than I did. Oh, yes, they do. For lots of reasons, they do. And when I realize, and we all realize, because the scriptures say that the last great effort of the prince of the darkness of this world is not to confuse the world because they're confused already, but it is to deceive the very elect of God, if that was possible. And I look back at the last half century, and I see how clever he has been in that effort, how insidious it has been, how divisive it has been, and still is. Um, we, we, we have a fall outing in Syracuse every year. I'd like to invite you uh, to it uh, this year, if you can come. Is it the first weekend in October? I'm not so sure, but it'll be published. But one that stands out in my memory, Brother Sam used, uh, uh, Bojanak used to live not far from us. So Brother Sam came to be our guest speaker. And I was floored at his uh, entree into his message to us. Everything was quiet. The prayer had been said. And the question was asked by the brother, did anybody see Satan come through the door? Well, now, who would invite Satan to our fall outing? Uh, and, and, and would we recognize him if he came? Does he really not have horns and a pitchfork and a tail that got a point on the end of it? Of course he doesn't. The Bible says that he comes sometimes as an angel of light and other times as, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But the point was made that the evil in the world today has many faces and we so easily mistake the disguises that he wears as he comes to deceive us. That's not just, just true in the church, in the household of faith. That's true in the world as well. In our world, and I can still recall as vivid as yesterday, when the threshing machine used to come and all the farmers used to come into our, our lane, some finally with tractors, most some of the others with, with, with horses, and they came to thresh our grain. And I remember that that was like, like, like a state fair for a little guy that was seven or eight years old and, and loved apple pie. And here are six of them and four cherry pies and who knows what else that has been made by my mother and, and help, help from others. And I can still see these farmers uh, washing up at, the, at, 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 a ba at basins that were on a, uh, a, a bench outside uh, my mama's laundry room. I can still remember the soap, homemade soap. The smell of it. I might forget what we had for breakfast yesterday, but that is as vivid to me. And, and, and what I remembered was how, how um, august, I'm going to use that term, how, how reverent was that group of farmers that sat down around uh, our dining room table along with my father and, and uh, two brothers from the sister church, one of whom was a minister, also was a farmer in, in the community. There was a sense of community, a sense of belonging, a sense of, of, of needing to, to, to be helpful to others first and then to ourselves. And I can remember the, 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 the reverence of that. As, and, and my father almost invariably asked the ministering brother from the Diamond Street Sister Church in Mansfield at that time to have a prayer. There was a sense of awesomeness about it and, 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 and reverence that even an eight-year-old could feel and experience.
And of course, there was the pie also. The point is, loved ones, as the world deteriorated in its need for each other, and all kinds of agencies were, 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 were raised up by taxpayer dollars so that our needs for our, 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 our community could be met by someone who had time, not the rest of us who would always take time anyway, there was a sense of disengagement, as it were, from neighbor to neighbor. And then in the nuclear family age that came shortly thereafter, from father and son, from mother and daughter. A disengagement between people's hearts until almost everyone today lives autonomously of the other. Uh, Junior has his own bedroom, has his own computer, has his own television, and only he and God knows what goes on in his room. Most American families, the largest percentage of American families, never have a meal together at all. Oh, by the way, Sally has her room and her computer and her television and her phone. A separate line, as a matter of fact, because after all, someone else liked to use the phone once in a while, too. That's the world, loved ones, that you are living in. And, and, and I am, too, still am. I'm, I'm three years older than my father was when he died, but I'm still here, too. And, and I don't like my new world. I would much rather give up the conveniences, so-called, that are in my new world than for, rather give them all up. Gladly exchange them for the sake of community and brotherhood when I was a boy. And you would probably envy me if you could live in my world when I was your age. And I would not blame you. All a part of the deceiver's way of lining things up so that he has all the world including God's people, if possible, in his clutches. What is, or what was, even then, the message for God's people? I want to read from Titus, the second chapter, a couple of verses. Beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God that, hath, that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearance of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. A peculiar people. That doesn't mean a bunch of odd folks. That means people that are, that, that are peculiar in ways that the world does not understand, nor does the world find them involved in it. It never was the purpose of those when I was a boy that were believers in Christ to, quote, blend in to the society, because after all, if they didn't, some of society might be uncomfortable. Well, please tell me, loved ones, if we have the color of a chameleon and we can blend in 
to whatever surroundings there are. Who would ever need to have reason to ask for the hope that is in us? Is it in, in 1 Peter? I wasn't going to read that, but I'm going to because I don't want to paraphrase it. 1 Peter 3, 15. keep thinking my Bible is going to wear out before I do, and I'm having my doubts. It's still usable. 1 Peter 3, 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you. A reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. If I'm not outstanding... For the peculiarities of my life, what will trigger someone to ask me who I am and why I am that way? It never mattered much to my mama that she was the plainest lady that went to school night. And I used to walk behind her dutifully as we went from teacher to teacher. And they would extol my uh, my brother's uh, interest in studies and things that were really important to teachers, at least, more so than to me at that time. And then I would be going into my class, and I would hear the teacher say to my plain mother again, well, he could do better. Well, indeed he could, but you can't do all of those things, you know, study all those books and, and, and learn to play the piano and, and baseball at the same time. And after all, nothing was more important than baseball. You see, I too was a child once and thought as a child and acted like one. But it was, loved ones, a, a, a sign when God's people mingled with society. It was a sign that there, that there was a God that was honored. And he was not just honored uh, with, with the lips, but when the chips were down and the straws were drawn, there were those faithful brothers who were willing to take, take the shorter end just to be at peace with the neighbor. You didn't need a lot of lawyers to draw up contracts. You'd shake a man's hand, and once you did and said you would, you did. And he knew that you would. A different world than today sad to say. We need to ask ourselves the question, what does the world see in us? Who do they see when they see us? Do they see us? God forbid. They need to see Christ in us. They need to hear him speak through us. They need to see us respond as he would respond. Because you see, those folks, most of them out there in today's world, as it was back then, never met Christ until they met a Christian in whom his spirit lived and obviously dwelt. And so they were witnesses. Down through the ages, they were witnesses, and they still are. And, and how many times, I've said it, uh, you know, I, gee, I, I really wasn't a witness today. Sorry about that. Yes, I was. 
We're a witness every day. Do you realize that, that you cannot not be a witness? The question is, whose witness am I? What do I witness? You might say to yourself, well, if I just keep my mouth shut all day long, I'm not going to witness. Do you realize that only 7% of what we communicate is by words? That 55% of what we communicate is by our displayed attitude and body language? <clears throat> used to walk out into my factory, uh, or somebody else's factory, but that I was responsible for, had a black man who, who worked uh, in, in that factory, uh, and if he didn't do a lick of work, I'd keep him anyway because he was the best cheerleader of anyone that I had ever seen. And I wear my feelings on my sleeve, Leona would say, and she would be right. And there were times when I had problems that I contemplated and walked out into the factory and Walter would say, Hey, Reverend, why are you dragging your chin on the floor? This is a great day. I thought to my, and I went up to him, I said, Walter, you know what? And I told him, I'd keep you around just, just that you pick me up from time to time. And so, loved ones, we are a witness. If we walk out into the world uh, as, as, as a sourpuss and as, as, as someone who's disgruntled or whatever, we are a witness, loved ones. Joy doesn't speak, but it's seen and it's felt. Uh, love doesn't speak. Oh, indeed, it does. It speaks its own language, but it's not very loud. Peace is a quiet thing. The fruit of the Spirit is not what we say, but the fruit of the Spirit is who we are. And the world picks that up long before we realize what kind of fruit we're bearing that day. I want to read out of a very, very familiar scripture that is used often. I use it myself, and so have you, but I have a little different perspective on it as a grandfather. Brother Riney once said if he could have been a, a grandfather first, he'd have been a better dad. I've said that many times. And you know, the reason for that is our perspectives as grandpas are far more clearly defined in the real values of life than our perspectives of uh, uh, that a father has that needs to put a roof over his head and keep the car running and uh, start saving for education and, and, and whatever else. The perspective is better from grandpa. And, and he, but he has to be careful that he doesn't spoil the, the grandchildren anyway. But God realized, loved ones, that if Israel was going to stay a nation, if it was going to be an entity reckoned with over the annals of history and the passing of time, it wasn't going to happen because the prophets said so. It wasn't going to happen because Moses said so. It wasn't going to ha happen that, that, that Jeremiah and Isaiah and Nehemiah and all the rest said so. He realized that Israel was going to be preserved at home and be preserved by being orthodox in the sense of abiding by the statutes and the judgments that God had given the nation. And while that all that ceremony seems like a whole lot of hocus-pocus to some of us who don't understand its significance. The Mosaic law given to the children of Israel was a perfect hygienic law that preserved them as a nation if they stayed away from the nations around them and, be, and remained a peculiar people 
that he had called to himself. The, the peculiar handle was given to Israel first, not the believers. Hear, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one God. Our Lord is... No, let me start again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them as a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets before thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates." Always, everywhere, particularly at home, making children, offspring, aware of their heritage and aware of their promises that were made to them by Almighty God and aware of the statutes and the judgments that God required of them, not because he needed it, but because they did to stay alive as a nation and to stay an entity to be reckoned with in the world. Loved ones, the doctrines and the biblical practices of our forebears need to be as the statutes and the judgments of God were to Israel. They need to not only be before our children always, they need to be evident to our children through the lives of mom and dad. And the priorities of mother and father will well describe to the children how real this, quote, religion, end of quote, really is. The church is not different. Perhaps it's different only in that when my father said it, he meant it, and I never asked why. And you might say, well, today we're taught to ask why. Absolutely, you are. And fathers and mothers, there is an answer, a biblical answer to every question that Junior or Sally will ask of us concerning any of the doctrines or biblical practices of our forebears that we hold dear. And if you're not able to do that as a parent, then maybe these things are not important enough to you. I have to speak frankly. I'm an old man. I will never probably be at this place again, not because I'm going to die before next year, but because I want to be practical and again say to my brothers, look, we have so many fine young brothers who can articulately declare all the wonders of the power of the kingdom of God and Christ his Son. The church that I, that, that I heard more than once some concern about since I'm at camp these two days is a church that will flourish or fail because of the home life.
of the believers. Not because of the elders who make edicts and then uh, people argue with you about them. Not because of any uh, great programs that we can put together to expand it and to, to propagate it. But because at the lowest common denominator of social life, which is at home, the gospel of Christ and being a witness, a holy witness in an unholy world is lived out by mom and dad and explained to Junior and Sally until they can understand it. And may I say more than that, that father and mother would exercise their chosen responsibility when God gave them children and raise those children themselves, not go out and drop them off at daycare and allow someone who has no interest in their spiritual well-being at all wipe their noses and their little bottoms and can't wait till you come and pick them up. That, verse, that, that chapter continues, and it says, And when thy son asketh thee, in time to come, saying, What mean these testimonies and these statutes? What are these doctrines that are different than most evangelicals? What are these biblical practices? Which, by the way, when I was older than eight years old, and we were still in the old Mansfield church, that would, and people used to say, where do you go to church? It was convenient. I could say, right catty corner from St. Pete's Catholic Church. St. Pete's had big spires, and you could see it from all over town. Well, I can remember when St. Pete's parishioners, the ladies, before they went through the door, covered their heads. And I can remember one young lady that I was counseling some years ago already, said, you know, I, I just can't wear this head covering. I said, why can't you? It doesn't hurt. She said, well, I, I look dumb in it. Well, please tell me, did the King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords look dumb with a crown of thorns on his head? And his hurt. His drew blood. Yours never will. Oh, she was so obedient. I never saw her since without it when we were in worship or the choir sang. Cannot a mother explain that to her daughter? Is that an elder's job to do it, to say it? No, 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 no. It is not. It's mother's job. If there's too little material in the skirt, is that the elder's job to, or, or the to have a workshop at Eastern Camp? Indeed, it is not. Oh, I know of a grandmother who was fixing a dress for a granddaughter before coming to camp. And she looked at the dress, the grandmother did, and, and she said, uh, have you sat down in this dress? The, the young lady bought it. Lovely dress, really. It was very nice. No, she said, I put it on in the store, and, and it really went to my knees. Well, Grandma said, but it needed some other alteration. And grandma said, you know what? Before I really alter this so you can't take it back, I want you to take it home, put it on, and sit down in it. And she came back and said, Omi, I got to take this dress back. It just isn't covering it. 
Where are the omates? Where are the grandmas? Where are the grandpas? Why should it be the responsibility of a shepherd of the church to deal with issues that need to be settled at home by mom and dad? And indeed, loved ones, too often when it's settled by the elder, then you've got to deal with the parents too. They don't like the advice the old man gave. That's the world that we're living in. Have to be frank. Have to be frank. And when thy son asked thee, thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondsmen in Egypt, and we were Satan's slave in the world. The parallel is precisely the same. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Every brother and sister that has been born again knows about the might and the power that lifted us out of the cesspool of sin and put us on higher ground than we ever dreamed, ever imagined existed. A greater parallel. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt and Pharaoh, upon all his household, before our eyes, and brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do these statutes. <clears throat> I read once, I, I believe in Reader's Digest, a couple of years ago, where an Orthodox Jewish family every Friday evening went through their uh, ceremonial feast and, and held the Sabbath day with, with, without flinching without argument and to every, within every detail. And Junior went off to college and became wise in the ways of the world. And he came home and the first Friday night when Father lit the candles, he said, Dad, I got to tell you something. I don't believe this stuff anymore. This is a bunch of hocus pocus. If you want to believe it, fine, but don't impose it on me. And the father was devastated. So the father entered into dialogue with his son and said, Son, God has given us these statutes to preserve us, to keep us, to remind us of, of his greatness in, in, in our nation. And the son said, And what if I break one of those statutes? Challenge his father. And his father, Son, you cannot break a statute that Jehovah has given. You may resist it, you may reject it, but you can only be broken by it. You cannot break it. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Interesting. Have you ever wondered why God demands all these things of you and of me? I have. I, I really have. Until I realized he's asking me to do these things, not because he needs them. He's a perfect God. But because I need them to keep me on the straight and narrow that leads to everlasting life. To keep me faithful to that last moment. To keep me reminded that I'm a child of God. Whom shall I fear? I'm going to read one more scripture and then... You can mull over it. And it's in the 8th chapter of, of uh, 
Deuteronomy. Interestingly enough, just two chapters beyond laying down the law, if I can use that term. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and, and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of those hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and are full, when thou hast blessed the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee, beware, lest thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Whom shall I fear? When I look in the mirror in the morning and I shave this old face, I'm looking at the guy who's going to give me more trouble than anybody else I meet all day. I shall fear myself. I shall fear the impact of worldly influences on myself and on my life and on my family and its life. I shall ask myself, Lord, have I wandered from thy precepts? Is sin less sinful now in my life than it was in the past? Is it less distasteful now? Because you see, so many of the things in society that were sins not long ago are now lifestyle choices by people, you see. When I was a boy, when George and I was, was eight and nine years old, and we saw someone stagger in the, in, 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 in the gutter in Mansfield, it would be noted that the town drunk didn't get home last night. And all of a sudden, the drunkenness was given a more decent, less discriminating name, and it was called alcoholism. And then after a while, because the drunk still could not help himself, they wanted to be kinder yet and called it an illness, called alcoholism. And after all, we need to spend lots of dollars, tax dollars, uh, John Q. Public's money, to build dry-out places for those who are ill with alcoholism. Do I think we ought not have those places? Of course not. We need them. I'm not saying we don't. I haven't complained that that's where they've spent some of the few tax dollars they've gotten for me in my life. But what I'm saying is, if it would still be called drunkenness, and the man could be given the assurance that Christ can set him free from his drunkenness, cold turkey, as they call it, 
we would not only save a lot of money. It could be spent on better things. We would save a lot of souls who are told they have the illness called alcoholism when, in fact, they're drunkards. Oh, yeah, I know. I get nurses in my family that after a while, the illness eats away at the liver, does all kinds of other... Of course it does. I suppose if I kept hitting myself on a hammer, on my head with a hammer five times a day for the next two or three years, I might have a lump on my head eventually. And they probably would call it something else. Loved ones, I'm not trying to be coy or funny. I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to be forthright. Trying to be upright. When you see that there are difficulties in your church, be concerned about it. But please don't go ask the elder, what are you going to do about it? You see, oh, dare I one more time bring up uh, John Kennedy's statement in, in, in reverse. You know, don't, don't ask, how was it? I don't know. But you were here. You heard it. Your minds are sharper than mine at this point in time. But the fact is, don't ask who's going to save the church. Don't ask when you're going to have the next elders meeting and straighten this out. Ask yourself, what am I going to do? What can I do, first of all? What can I do with the problems that are uh, reaching into the church in some instances with epidemic proportions? Well, God will reveal that to you. And your work is probably going to start at home. Because that's the place where Almighty God will hold you responsible, mom and dad, not the elder. And mom may not say when someone might say, you know, uh, for a young sister, maybe, maybe you should talk to your uh, little Sally about, about some things. Well, she said, I can't do that. She buys her own clothes. <laughs> no kidding. It's like some scrubby young man coming home and and uh, father says, uh, you know, uh, you need a haircut. And he decides he's not going to do that. Well, it's time for father to grab a razor and do a job that maybe a barber can fix. The point is, loved ones, if we're going to save our children, and if we're going to save the church, we cannot just be buddies to our children. Oh, listen. I, time's running out. Uh, my dad was not our buddy, but he was probably one of the best friends I had or any boy could ever. You see, I told you before that my brother used to uh, do uh, less exciting things like playing the organ and getting into the books and that sort of thing. And I remember how frustrated I used to be bouncing a hard ball off the side of a two-story barn. And then every once in a while, I'd overthrow it, and it would go on the steel roof and then fall down into the spouting and stay there. Do you know how mad that can make somebody who likes to play ball and his brothers in the living room playing a song out of a book? Well, I'll tell you how mad it made me. I went in the house. It wasn't designed. I wouldn't have done it to the hymn book. No way. I don't remember what the but I remember taking the book off, tearing out the page, throwing it on the floor and saying, now you play your song. And he did. He had memorized it. That was our world. And I can remember my dad tired as a farmer can be. Just, I, I, I can still, 
Still see his overalls, the straps in the back, wet through sweat. The sun was just going down, and, 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 and the tools were put away, and, and, and the youngest son was bouncing the baseball off of the barn. And Papa would say, Bobby, I'll throw you a few. My dad was my hero. Do you, do you know? And, and I, I've, I've said this to a few people. I refused to learn how to tie my necktie because when my father's hands went around my necktie and around my neck, the, the, the feel of those calloused fingers and the smell of honest sweat was something I didn't want to forget. And so I didn't learn for a long time to tie my necktie. There are many things that I would have done, many wild, wide swaths that I would have sowed in a field of wide, wild oats and harvested what it brought forth, but I didn't, not because I didn't want to, but I didn't because I loved my dad and I loved my mom, and I knew that every trip to the woodshed I deserved, and a lot of them that I did deserve I didn't get. Got away with some, but I knew that all that was the hedge that was built around George and me was built, was called the love of God, and built by parents who cared enough for us to keep us from destroying ourselves and preparing us for a day when the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts and we might not find that voice strange because we had seen him working in the lives of mom and dad. They're long gone, but the influences obviously affect my life and, and George's today yet. And I pray that when we are long gone and the Lord will tarry and the world is still in almost one piece, that there will, and I know there will be because the Bible says so, that remnant of people who have not bowed to a world that wanted to swallow them up, who have not followed the, 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 the piper and danced to his tunes, but who have stayed forever a peculiar people in a world that is still going to ask, today yet, what are you all about? How do you whistle a tune on a Monday morning? Can't you understand that I have a headache this big and you come in and, and, and whistle a tune? What's wrong with you? Oh, please tell them. Please tell them who it is that gives us that joy and that hope and that privilege of being in their world but not a part of it. May the Lord, Almighty God, give us all grace and joy and enthusiasm to that end.